Yeah, dude, I'm like really big into eBay selling right now. Like, ah. dude, it's been like my new COVID holiday. Yeah. Like, just like, dude, I just go crazy on like every day is Christmas. <laughs> Next time we have you on, that closet's going to be empty. Dude, I sell, like, I've sold so much gear that I like didn't know I had that I just like bought on B and H and used like three times and stuffed it somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I just started going through and like ridding myself of all this stuff. And it's like weirdly fun. Like, <laughs> yeah, I feel one of a high from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I get a total high, like watching that auction clock down and you're like, oh, who's going to bid? Who's going to bid? Like, oh yeah. And then if it's me, dude, it's like, weird. oh, no one bid. Oh, no one bid. Yeah. <laughs> all my items getting realistic. It sucks. Oh, yeah. Oh, COVID, dude. Hey, what's going on, guys? My name is Kenneth Jackson. I'm an actor from Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Trey Riley. I'm a writer-director from Charlotte, North Carolina. And this is Cinevibes. We're joined today with a good friend of mine that I actually met this year, the year of COVID. 2020 and we worked on a little project together called time after time and it's one of those professional relationships that quickly kind of blossomed into a friendship and um, we've been competing on Litterbox ever since and Alex has been working a lot in the commercial world doing uh, things from you know tv spot type work or spec type work to music videos and more recently short films and kind of just getting his feet wet everywhere he can with uh, DP work or camera work in general, I think. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Alex Rivera. Welcome to the show. Welcome, brother. Thank you both for having me. I'm excited to to be here to talk about movies i guess oh yeah <laughs> Maybe a little absolutely bit of work too. yeah just a little bit of everything movies we didn't uh tell him what we were talking about yeah so. it's gonna be a, a wild mix of <laughs> rapid fire questions <laughs> <laughs> uh. nice so all right we're gonna throw the first one at you uh so what was like how did you get started as a dp and cinematographer like what was what was that like for you so i didn't go to film school uh, I'm self-taught, which is, you know, kind of, it's either, I feel like it's either you went to film school or you didn't. Um, so I kind of hopped into the photography world first, which I feel like is a very common kind of transition. And mm-hmm. so my motion kind of segue was time lapses. So I got really into time lapses and like hyper lapses and doing that kind of work. And then, so I was going to Appalachian for business and uh met a guy who saw my work and asked me to kind of come do a couple time lapses for the football team which was kind of the the main source of video work kind of mm-hmm. at app um everybody that did video work was doing video work for the football team either at some point pretty good right yeah the, the video team there is is good and obviously like the app football team is also good so it kind of helps the work get get out there but so I did that for a little bit and then I, it just kind of kept building and building. So it was like I did that for a little bit, like a month or two of just time lapse work because it was something they needed that was different. And then they were like, oh, well, we also, you know, it'd be nice to have somebody to edit stuff. Uh, would you be interested in doing that? So I was like, yeah, I can learn how to edit. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to edit. And then they were like, oh, well, you know, it'd be cool to have somebody do it like extra camera work that we need. 
So kind of hopped in and did that. And then it kind of kept going and going. And then obviously like those guys handled pretty much all the work that was video related at all. So I got a chance to do like other things outside of football. And um, they had a connection with a production company in Charlotte that would do big sports work. So 30 for 30s, ESPN work, NCAA work. So eventually got to move in and do that kind of stuff. So while I was still in college, I got a lot of experience doing that, which was probably the the bulk of my like experience because nobody else was handing, you know, a 20 year old kid, a like $40,000, you know, set up and just saying like, Oh yeah, you can go film, you know, this game or whatever. (laughs) So it was fun. Got to travel a lot to do a lot of cool sports stuff. Um, And then I had kind of always enjoyed movies, but had never really thought about it as like a career. Like I I was kind of taking everything step by step because in truth, I still didn't think I was going to do this. Like it still felt like it was kind of a hobby. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, this is really Mm -hmm. fun. But I was like still taking like econ classes. So I was like, (laughs) yeah, you know, like that's, I'm going to do that later. Um, And then it eventually got to the point where I just didn't want to go to class because I was having so much fun doing video work. Yeah. And so I was kind of exploring my options as far as like, can I change my major? Is it too late? Uh, do I transfer? And it was like, I was like second semester junior. So I looked at a few transfer options and there was like no transferability in terms of me keeping those credits. And I was You're like, pretty well, far into it. right. And I was like, oh, I really want to graduate college as soon as possible so I can go do what I want to do, which is video yeah. work. So I was really lucky that I was doing videos for the university, for the admissions department. And so I had a lovely lady in the counselor's office, like hook it up somehow to where I was able to change my major to advertising my senior year. And I was able to finish everything I needed to do for that whole major in one year. And so I graduated with a creative advertising degree, which Mm -hmm. I loved and had a lot of fun my senior year, just like basically coming up with ads. And all my professors knew that I was, really invested in doing video work so they were just like oh well you know we say print ad we'll just let you do a tv spot so i had a lot of time to basically work on these like director producer skills of just like putting together and writing tv spots um and and that kind of was i guess the culmination of me being like yeah this is definitely like post-college not even gonna try to get a job i'm just gonna (laughs) go do this um and so i was lucky i i worked so much in college which is definitely a double-edged sword. But by the time I graduated, I was kind of well out in the career field enough that I could start getting work and not have to do too much of like an intermediary period. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so then I just graduated and started doing stuff. And then my first year, I did a lot of sports and then a little bit of commercial. And then it went to being almost no sports, more commercial, a little bit more doc work. I started doing a little bit of doc work that wasn't just sports docs. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of evolved into doing short film work, which was kind of the culmination of me admitting to myself that I love movies so much that I actually want to do that more so than do commercial work, which I still do enjoy a lot. But yeah. narrative is fun, not just because it's what I really enjoy doing, but because it's so new where mm-hmm. I've done the other stuff. And obviously I'm so young and I feel like you could do just TV commercials for 80 years and still feel fresh every day. Like you're never, you know, I'm so far from even like probably knowing 1% of what I'll know by the time I die. But I feel like, (laughs) I feel like when I do kind of more commercial work, I kind of know what's going on. 
Yeah. Where when I do like short film narrative work, I feel like I have zero idea what's going on. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I enjoy like learning from everybody, like producers and directors. Yeah. No one else and, knows what they're doing either. Yeah, we're just all bullshitting our way <laughs> That's along. That's the secret. Um, but so I, I find that like really enjoyable just because it's, I have like so little experience doing it. Yeah. But I have so much fun doing it that it's kind of like, oh yeah, like I kind of want to jump in into the deep end, you know? Yeah. When you were first coming out of school and you'd kind of cut your teeth doing yeah. the sports work and everything. Yeah. What? Was your role on set? Were you like a first AC? So Were I was doing a lot, of, a lot of cam op work. That was primarily what I Let was Let everyone, doing. just anyone that's listening that maybe doesn't fully know kind of what just the basics of the camera team. Like yeah, what's so that breakdown? Camera team, as far as I understand it, would be basically DP's like head honcho, doesn't always operate. So he's like the boss on set. And for a camera mm -hmm. team at least and so mm -hmm. he's like the other director like you'll hear a lot of people say the other director because it's the director of photography so he's basically the way that i view it is like responsible for everything that happens in front of the lens from a yeah. technical perspective anything that doesn't have anything to do with a the performance they're they're basically establishing the look of the film the way they're going to light everything they're telling they're also kind of head of the g e department so they're working with their gaffer to set up all the lights and everything then mm -hmm. they might be first cam op, A cam. They might be opping that or they might not be. And there'll be an A cam op, a B cam op, C cam, D cam. Like sports, right. you'll have like non-cam ops for a game or something stupid. So you'll have a lot. And then basically your A cam op. In sports, there really isn't a DP. You just have kind of an A cam op uh, mm -hmm. or somebody that takes like the DP title. But there's less of that going on because you're not lighting anything. You're just kind of picking stuff off moment. or you're yeah. shooting whatever your position is during the game. So mm -hmm. you have that, and then under that, you would have each cam op would have their own little separate team. So they'd have a first, a second, and then either a cam PA for each team, or they'll just be like one unit camera PA, which will mm -hmm. just basically be on doing a lot of second AC work on a bigger set. Or if it's a smaller set, your second AC is going to be doing like camera PA plus second AC. Mm -hmm. So first AC is a focus puller. That's mm -hmm. basically it. They just pull your focus for you so you don't have to. Um, in sports, there isn't a lot of first ACs. You have a lot of cam ops that you're pulling your own focus. So like for football games, I always pulled my own focus. You just manual focus and you just you do that. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But then in commercial world and narrative world, you do get first ACs. First ACs were like are still kind of a new relationship for me because I just didn't have them for so long. Yeah. And I was friends with first ACs when I started getting into commercial narrative world, yeah. but I still didn't have first ACs a lot. And I've started getting more and more first ACs. And it is like such an incredible <laughs> experience to have somebody just like saving you at every turn. Yeah. And I feel like mm -hmm. every DP knows that feeling of just like you need something and you like turn around and your first AC is just like already on it. And you're like, Yes, right there, smiling is, at you. Is, you know, this is it. Um, and then second AC is a clapper. So they're just going to slate for you. And they'll be like, if there's no camera PA, they'll also be like running batteries for you. They might mm -hmm. be running cards to your DIT for you. They'll just be doing like general. They're kind of assisting this first AC and making sure that they can keep everything in tip top shape. Right. And usually the first AC too is going to build your camera for you. 
and then you can tell them what you want. Uh, they'll be swapping lenses for you. In sports world, especially for games, it's a lot of zooms and a lot of that kind of stuff. So you're not yeah. really doing a lot of lens swaps. So you'll have like a runner, which will come through and collect cards from everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but then in, you know, commercial narrative world, the, the roles will be like very designated. Um, right. And then also too, for, you know, sports are very hinged on interviews. So you'll have really long, like three day interview days where it's like 12 hours of interviews. And for that period, you'll also have like, you'll have traditional AC roles and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, camera op is basically like the the arms of the DP. They're they're the hands mm -hmm. where the DP says, you know, you're on a cam, you're gonna be our you know our wide or our tight, and he's gonna tell you kind of like his vision for the shot, and then the cam op is just gonna be the person that's actually executing it. Yeah. So the DP can be back next to the director on monitor, making sure that everything's going on, mm -hmm. and that's mostly. So the DP doesn't have to focus on shooting a shot and can mostly focus on the vision of the piece. Mm -hmm. um, and that is especially important on like big multicam shoots where you'll have three angles. If the DP is a cam, he's only seeing his shot, which in theory might be the most important one and isn't a huge deal. If he's not seeing B and C, the director might be the kind of director where he can just look at it and be like, I, I don't need you to look at that because I know what I got. Yeah. But, you know, when you're talking about, you know, a $40 million feature, it is really <laughs> nice to not have to shoot, obviously, I would imagine, right. and be able right. to just look at it from an objective. That's just, like, yeah, we'll, we bring, got everything. we'll bring Deacons in as our fourth person here and ask him <laughs> yeah, yeah, if that's exactly. helpful. Yeah, phone a friend. <laughs> So what was the first projects that you worked on? Like, let, let's go with the narrative uh, right now, because I'm really interested in that, because you talked about how you'd be on set and, you know, you said uh, commercials was more of, you know, what was going on and what you're looking for and that sort of stuff. Yeah. How How is narrative like? Uh, are you talking about inspiration wise when you get there and you see this sort of look that just comes to you? Because... As an as a photographer myself, I'll just yeah. see a shot and I'm like, yo, I gotta hit that, like take yeah. that photo, right? Yeah. <laughs> so is that something that you found more exciting uh from the, the narrative I, sense? No, I think that's more commercial for me at least. Ah. I, I think a lot of commercial for for you, you don't always know like all the setups aren't exactly as planned for commercial. Mm -hmm. So you end up having a lot of like showing up and seeing like, oh well, how are we gonna light this or you might have like a spot piece that I did, which was like we had eight setups in one day and we had scouted, but it wasn't like a deep tech scout. So right. a lot of that stuff was like kind of like, oh, yeah, we're going to light it this way. This is the generic idea. And then we'll see how it is for narrative work. I'm really type A OCD. So I like to plan everything to right. like the most minute detail. Pre-production. I find that to be way more challenging because you have okay. to think about it in a really objective way because you're not there so you know when you're doing a lighting plot i love doing lighting plots so if i'm doing a lighting plot it requires a lot more thought for me to do that without actually being there mm -hmm. than kind of the typical trial and error where you're like oh we're gonna do a really soft you know left key book light set it up get someone in look at it and then adjust mm -hmm. but when you're doing that and you're not even there it's way more challenging. And then also when you're having these conversations with the directors where it's like, oh, uh, well, you know, are we going to cut from this medium close up to this extreme tight? 
what lenses should we be using? And then you have to think about how that lens is going to look rather for commercial. I would probably just put the lens on Mm -hmm. and then look at it and say, Oh yeah, that's what I want. Or no, that's not what I want. Right. So I feel like it just flexes your muscles more in terms of making those educated decisions beforehand rather than in the moment. Mm -hmm. Cause obviously, you know, you want to know enough to where you're not wasting people's time. I think that's, that's usually what I'm most stressed about is like, I don't want to be the idiot on set that is holding everybody up because I don't know how to do my job. So obviously for commercial, even though I might put that lens and put someone in, I'm still trying to do it as efficiently as possible. But for narrative, I would want to like not even have to go to another lens. I would want to have already made that decision three weeks ahead of time to go on a 35 and like that be on a 35. So we can just kind of roll right through it. Cause the thing about commercials too is like, there's not as much pressure because a lot of times there's really not a lot of dialogue or you might just have like one or two things. It's a lot of B roll esque type action, mm-hmm. which is like this, the, the scene that you're setting visually is that is the goal. But mm-hmm. for narrative, the director wants to achieve some sort of take that they need to get. So it might look perfect, but if the actor takes 15 takes and that puts you, you know, you, that was a seven page day and you're only done five. And then it puts you two pages back on the other days. Like you have to make that up. And I feel mm-hmm. like that is up to me to make it up because you can't always make actors do things more efficiently, but I can definitely do things more efficiently to make the schedule be back where it should be. Mm-hmm. Which is where the shot listing and stuff you're talking about right. come in handy and you can kind of yeah. have your, well, we definitely need these shots just to get the coverage, but some of these are kind of flex shots that I'd like to get if I can. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like maybe this is just like an experience, but I feel like sometimes on those more B-roll-esque doc commercial stuff, you get lucky a lot, which <laughs> is maybe just me getting lucky. Maybe other people don't get lucky and they, they're just geniuses that pull this stuff <laughs> out. But I feel like I get lucky a lot where I'm just kind of like, oh, this location's like perfect and this mm-hmm. light, like this is a perfect time for this. Like, let's do this. But mm-hmm. for narrative, you have to like establish, you have to like make your own luck to establish a look, especially like when you talk about, you know, a whole short being in like five locations. Yeah. Like you can't really get lucky with those locations. Even mm-hmm. if you scout them, you can find the ideal time right. or like the ideal, you know, set pieces or stuff. But you have to like predetermine all of that. Where like yeah. for commercial, sometimes like, like you might have like exterior golden hour walking shot and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, we've got a park for it. I know I want to backlight, you know, our talent. And, you know, I've got like two grips that can do X and Z, whatever. But if like this shot isn't looking good, I can take the whole team and move to the other side of the park and shoot it and get what I want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that might not be as easy for a narrative piece if you need, you know, oh, well, it's quieter over here for audio or, oh, well, this sidewalk you know, they need to turn at the end of this and like, you can't turn at the logistically other or, like there's things for the story and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like the way I always think about it is like narrative. It's like everybody's serving the story mm-hmm. and that's like your, like your thing. Everybody's like, Oh, well, we're doing it for the story. But for commercial, you end up in it being almost like sometimes a visual piece where it's like, right. Oh, well it needs to look really good because you know, most people are going to watch this on their phones with the sound off. So, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, right. the, 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 the visual is what it needs to be. Right. That was something that I that was something that I was thinking about 
but um i didn't know if that was uh from your perspective different i mean i i've never been yeah. a dp on a production I, yeah. so it's just i didn't know if that ran do. through the mind at all uh but that does make a lot of sense that beforehand yeah. you know what you're looking for especially like if you the director wants a certain look or something like that or yeah. not not even that but like they're trying to achieve something from it right and you're yeah. thinking through how you can help that right yeah and the other thing too is like the collaborative experience is totally different i feel like on narrative projects all the collaboration happens not on set but for mm. commercial work like in doc work too like a lot of it like in doc there's really not directors you just have producers mm -hmm. but they're the ones that have the vision for the final piece and mm -hmm. a lot of that collaboration like doesn't happen beforehand like there's no frames there's no like references it's just kind of like you get there and you do what you can with what you have mm -hmm. so the collaboration is totally different your first time that kind of meeting piece. them is probably like why you're shooting sometimes might be yeah like that sometimes the first time you ever meet that producer director like might be day of yeah especially when we're doing like quick turnaround projects that are like getting shot one day and then like two days later getting put out mm -hmm. like it's it's almost sadly it's like content over quality kind of right. thing mm -hmm. but especially in the doc world like you'll find a lot of producers that like really don't give a shit <laughs> like they're like i don't care if it looks good or not i just need you to like shoot this yeah um, complete this so then it right so then it kind of puts another spin on it because you're trying to do your job efficiently without slowing them down. But then you also don't want it to look bad because you just don't want it to look right. bad. Cause your that's own, your job like, is to make a desire to right. do a your good own job. bar. Right. So you're like, well, I need to do X, Y, and Z for them. But I know that they're like, you know, when you're working on a commercial product and you tell a director, Hey, I need an extra 30 minutes to set this up. I feel like usually if you pick your battles, right. And you can explain it, you can get whatever it is that you need. But, like, on a lot of projects, too, like, people are just like, yeah, I don't care. Moving on. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> all right, well, I, you know, that's just the way it is. <laughs> so, as a DP, you talked about how you enjoyed films and everything. So, from your perspective, yeah. now that you've been in the industry for a bit, what is your favorite movie as a DP? Oh, I don't have one. You it's don't have one? It's constantly evolving. Yeah. I watch so many movies. I feel like it was, this is going to sound, like, so bullshit art but i i feel like i kind of had like blinders on you know because i i wasn't like the kind of person that was watching art house films when i was young i don't think anybody mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. unless you had like a parent in the industry niche. yeah or you know maybe you were just like just smarter than me but <laughs> i feel like that was def like nobody was going to like 11 p.m art house films when they were young and so I was like had really mainstream taste and then I just started like gradually expanding it mm -hmm. and meeting other people. And then they were like, Hey, you should watch this. And it was like, I had never heard of like all these quintessential movies that you're supposed to watch. Mm -hmm. And so I got into it like so hard and so fast, like literally like the first year that I would probably say I was like into movies I, I set a goal. I was talking to Trey about this. I set a goal for myself to watch 365 movies that year. Absurd. And I was 2018. And wow. I was like, all right, this is my first year, like, really being into movies. So I'm going to, like, make the best of it and watch as many movies what as I What was can. the number you got to? I don't know. Do you remember what it was? I think it was, like, 380-something. It was more than your goal, it was which was already crazy. 
Um, <laughs> and that year was really interesting in a lot of ways. I watched a lot of bad movies because some days I was like, oh, I just need to watch my movie of the yeah, day. That's all you can mm-hmm. and, get to. Right. So I'd watch like really bad Netflix originals and that kind of stuff. And then <laughs> after that, I was the year after I was, which is 2019. I was like, okay, well this year I want to do the same thing. I'm not going to set a, a, a number goal. I just want to watch good movies this year. Yeah. So I tried to like get really good at like, not necessarily looking at reviews, but just making sure that I was not going to be wasting time. Right. So, and then that year, I think I got close to, I did like 300 maybe somewhere mm. around there. And then this year has been like <laughs> the same, but even crazier because I feel <laughs> like I've watched no bad movies this year. Like everything I've watched has been like super good. And mm-hmm. even stuff I did enjoy, I watched it for a reason. Like I would watch something for, you know, a DP I really liked, and then yeah. you know, movie ended up not being great. But I was like, oh, I'm really glad I watched. You know, this, is this, this year piece by them. the year you started? your counting down on the uh, was it ACS list and the yeah, so AFI this year, list and stuff like that, right? And then and then you created the uh, the uh, best picture winner list, which I've also that's become my third kind of, I guess my trilogy of lists. Okay. So I've got. The ASC list, the AFI list, and the uh, the Best Picture winner list from the last, I don't know, whenever the Best Picture 1929, category. I think. There you go, 1929 to now. So almost 100 there. And and that's been really indicative of kind of my choices of watching movies this year because it's been, you know, putting myself, I guess, out of the comfort zone sometimes to watch, you know, some, you know, 1938, 1945 black and white that i would you know never find or stumble across and then also Mm -hmm. i feel like it's you know if you work in the industry every maybe not every movie but every couple months you realize that you 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 find more in them than you used to so you you like for me this year it's been interesting to see inspiration i feel like i Mm -hmm. see that a lot where i'll watch you know something from now and then i can almost pick out what they picked from that Mm -hmm. was old like i'll be like oh i watched you know this and that was definitely like definitely they pulled from this and this you're seeing all the originals right you're seeing all these ties Mm -hmm. to stuff and and that's been really interesting and just like from the boring technical aspect of like oh i see lighting better now you know i see Mm -hmm. things that i didn't see before but yeah, I, I don't think I'll ever have a favorite movie. There's definitely yeah. like, I don't even know if I could do top 10. Maybe because I feel like I always say like, oh, this is top 10. But if I put everything I said that for, that'd be like, you know, 50 movies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, movies that have inspired me at specific times mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what I would say. I don't think my movie preference i think i'm such a movie lover that whatever my favorite would be probably doesn't even rank highly for dps like it's probably a Mm. movie that isn't even visually strong like i would never pick like blade runner as a favorite like yeah Mm. it's like incredible but i don't know if like that is a movie that speaks to me the way that i would expect my like number one yeah i want that to be like a movie that really speaks to me yeah not just something that like oh i like this because i'm a dp because that's gonna be very specific to like your personality and just like your little niche thing that you enjoy which might be totally different than totally like a 1940s 
you know right like you know like rom-coms i have like such a soft spot for rom-coms and i find that now it's different because now rom-coms look really good if you Mm -hmm. look at like 90s early 2000s rom-coms which are the the, best ones by the way (laughs) the look was definitely not you know not what they were going for it's a lot of like soft top kind of like basic nothing crazy Mm -hmm. if you watch like you know two that come to mind is game night and tag which i think were like 2018 2019s Mm -hmm. those movies look incredible like Mm -hmm. game night is a film that i love the look of and it's equally funny as it is you know hilarious and really good lighting Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i don't think that's something you can say for older stuff but you know the old stuff from a uh content standpoint is like what i want to watch always you know like that's what i enjoy watching you know if it's been like a shit day that's what i want to watch i don't really want to watch you know fully why do you think that you know i'll probably you know why do you think that shift has happened with the like the newer films if the i don't even think it's like the story quality is lesser so it's gonna look better no not at all i think it's I think the boundaries are being pushed a lot from a cinematography's perspective. I think good cinematography is more accessible because now, you know, you have digital and yeah, I would hate to say there's like more talented DPs now than there used to be. But I think it's also, it's less political of a system now. If you read a lot of, you know, I read a lot about old, you know, DP political things that used to happen where you needed to be like in with so-and-so in LA to be a DP where like now Mm -hmm. that's not as much of a thing. You can kind of come from nowhere and if you're good, you're good. Mm -hmm. So I think it's part of it is that it's just like the accessibility, like everything making it is more accessible. But I think also the, the viewer, the, the bar has been raised for the viewer to, want things to look good like if you look at how movies look now if you pulled somebody from hollywood in the 1960s and brought them to today they would like (laughs) their brains would explode (laughs) like if you took them to watch like a 70 mil project projection of like anything they would be like their brains would hurt they'd be like why does this look this is like life doesn't even look this good when i go outside (laughs) you know and and that's not to say Right, it's too sharp. <laughs> and that's not to say things didn't look good back then. Things looked incredible back then, but like things just look otherworldly now. Even mm-hmm. things like these comedies that we're talking about. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, we take dumps the, on Netflix movies, but doesn't matter which great. one they are, Half they're the all time. perfect. Yeah. Like, they look beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> they look beautiful. Yeah, you can never fault them for that. Um, so yeah, I think the bar is is just gone up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a, I think you touched on it a little bit, but like, as a DP, like, has your view on just movies, movie watching changed? Or you do, do you still like, pretty much take off the DP gloves whenever you're watching mm. something? No, I think it's anybody that tells you they can is a liar. <laughs> I try really hard. You heard sometimes. it here first. Yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> I try really hard sometimes to not pay attention especially if it's something that i really enjoy for content and just be Mm -hmm. like oh you know i'm not you know i'm not gonna worry about it Mm -hmm. it's gonna you know i know this doesn't look great but it's okay um but you know 
I feel like there's something to be learned from everything. Even even movies that don't look that great, you can still learn things from, even if it's, you know, oh, that's why you don't do that. Or, oh, well, you know, it could have been better if they just did this one thing. And again, not qualified to say that at all, but I still think it sometimes. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there's there's definitely something to be gleaned all the time. So I do think sometimes when I watch, especially if it's a rewatch, I'm looking for it way more because it's like, I already know what's happening story-wise. So I don't have to spend as much time focusing on, oh, I need to look at cinematography things and also not get lost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I would would struggle to think of a movie that I watched that didn't look good. Like I think for it to be a Hollywood movie, it is going to look really great. And mm-hmm. I think there's always like interesting things, especially like if it's for one thing for me is like lighting styles that are not mine, mm-hmm. like really bright kind of cheery lighting styles, like makes my brain hurt because <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to achieve that. So I'm always so impressed by these like nineties, like high key looks. Like I'm, I'm always like trying to learn because yeah. I feel like if somebody hired me and they were like, I want that, I would be like, I, I don't know how to give you that yet. <laughs> yeah. Like I've, you know, that's not something I have a lot of experience doing. <laughs> so like, even if it's not my personal style, I'm always trying to look for like, Oh, okay. Oh, they did that. Or, Oh, that's why they did that. And especially like when you, now everything has VFX. Like even if you think it doesn't have VFX, it probably has VFX. Yeah. Right. So when you look at it, I'm always trying to pick out like, Oh, is that VFX or, you know, I've worked on a couple yeah. kind of sci-fi things that had more VFX. So I'm always trying to learn how to make their job easier by doing my job better. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm always trying to like pull things out of what I'm watching. I don't think I'm ever not doing that. Nice. Uh, so as, as an actor, I want to know, and I think Oof. you may have mentioned it before, but... Is there something that annoys you uh, that an actor does? And is there something that makes you happy if an, a- like, if an actor does it, right? Mm. I don't think anything annoys me. I've never... I'm a chill person in general. So it's really tough to annoy me. <laughs> at, like at, Challenging. Something. Like, it's challenging <laughs> to annoy me in general. Yeah. Like, I I don't like people that... I think my number one pet peeve would be like ego. I just right. don't like ego ever mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. anybody, with anything ever. Yeah. So, Cash or crew. but I've, right. But I've never really had a problem with like having a really egoy actor. Mm-hmm. Um, at least not to me. Uh, but it's, I, I used to read about that like actor DP relationship and I never really understood it until I started doing narrative work. But, it is like such an interesting experience because they're the person that you spend the most time with. Like I probably spend more time with actors than I do with other people because you're like right in front of their faces all the time. And then I remember I was reading a DP explain how it's so important to maintain a positive atmosphere because when an actor finishes the take, you're the first person they're going to see. Like they usually look right up at the camera. So like your face. So if you're like cringing and you have a really like, Oh God, that was awful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's like going to be totally demoralizing. So I always try to have like a really not blank look, but like a very just like generic neutral look. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and I do try to like keep things light, which I've never really had. I mean, there's, it's definitely a feel it out situation. You don't want to be like overly light and joking and then have an actor go into like a really serious take. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do try to like, just kind of keep things positive. Uh, and I like when actors kind of like keep that with you and they're not Mm -hmm. trying to just be like, Oh, why is this guy talking to me? Cause it's like, usually I'm just trying to like hang out and pass the time. Like, you know, a lot of, especially when we're talking about narrative work, like a lot of stuff is already kind of written in stone for what is going on. So Mm-hmm. You, there are a bunch of takes that are just like oh we're just getting this take you know like oh, we're not changing any lighting setups so like we're just gonna you know you're kind of rolling through like all these shots and you're just mm-hmm. kind of like moving from here to here to here to here but yeah i don't think i've never had any problems with like anything annoying me i guess from mm-hmm. an, from an actor's perspective but yeah usually i feel like i get along really well with people and i like kind of keep up those relationships especially if you work with actors and actresses like you know, on multiple projects and then you kind of get comfortable being around mm-hmm. that person and, and all that kind of stuff. And then you mm-hmm. start like joking and having that rapport and stuff. And I really enjoy that. Like I, I'm a really social person. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, all about the community that you get on a film set. And I think getting that with actors and stuff is, is really fun. Your next project, first shot, first take, an actor's going to go off on you. Just like out of nowhere for no just reason. Like Christian Bale style, just like <laughs> letting it rip. Like you said, um, you're gonna be two feet away from me, and you're way closer than that. I do. Like one thing I try to be really conscious of is not messing with things when things are ready to go. Like, because mm. I do try to be really conscious to not be like, "Oh, we're ready to roll. Cameras up." And then you're like, oh, stop. I need to bounce. And then you like, you know, because that might totally mess with where they're at. So I try not to do that, regardless of if that means that we're just going to like snub this take and I'm going to just quickly try again or just kind of compromise and be like, well, I didn't do it in time. But I try to that's like one thing I try to be really conscious of, which I feel like may prevent me getting yelled at in the future. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Yeah. Just going through with it and trying again. Yeah. So I want to kind of switch gears a little bit and mm-hmm. ask you a little bit more, let's call them philosophical questions. Mm. <laughs> Let it rip. Just, I think every DP gets Late this question year. and mm. it's film versus digital. Is there even an argument here or does the story dictate the format? Because I know you've done a little bit of both. Yeah, I do love film. I shoot a lot of film. Uh, not always for projects, but for personal stuff, always. I, like, don't own a digital stills camera. I only shoot medium format Hasselblad, and then I shoot 35 mil, um, which makes me sound like a snob. (laughs) Um, I don't know. From an enjoyment perspective, film is, like, far superior. Like, Mm -hmm. you rip a few 35 millimeter or 120 shots, and just it feels so good to know, like, I don't even know what that looks like. I'm just going to wait. Like, I hope that matches my vision, you know? And that is, so I think in that sense, far superior from an enjoyment perspective, anybody tells you that they find like massive enjoyment from shooting, you know, a digital photo either has never shot film or I just am very confused by them. But I think enjoyment wise, film is so much fun to shoot. And, you know, that obviously has something to be said. Um, I'm a big Steve Yedlin fan, 
And if you have watched any of his breakdowns, I feel like it's impossible to say, oh, yeah, one is superior to the other because he has totally demystified the fact that they both look the exact same and you can make anything look like anything mm -hmm. if you try hard enough. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but, you know, to my eye, I find film to be more enjoyable. And maybe that's just because the stuff that I'm watching that's digital isn't putting a lot of effort into trying to be film. And the stuff that I'm watching that is film is just being put straight up as film. But like, you know, I think also film is, it's so much more complex than like film be digital because film can be so many things. Like in the last two days, I've watched five movies and I'd like to say each one was shot on film mm -hmm. and they all looked totally different mm. because there's so much else that is going into that look that is more important than film v digital but i don't know i mean i think at my and you know i've never shot 35 mil motion i've shot 8 mil and 16 and enjoyed both of them a lot and it's only you know, a matter of time bro yeah it's only a matter of budget <laughs> is the real question here um but you know the the dps that you know got me into film are you know really good friends of mine all of them and you know i i the the like film is so mystic, you know, like there's like this otherworldly aspect of like shooting it and you don't really know what it is. And there's all these, you know, like anybody can pick up a camera and shoot digital, but like you need to know more to shoot film. Yeah. Like there's so many things that you need to read about and learn and like understand how processing works and understand how you can't shoot the exact same way you shoot digital. You're exposing differently. You're doing a lot of things that are different that, probably are more enjoyable for me but from a you know final image perspective i don't think it really matters you mm -hmm. know and you know obviously that's contradictory to the fact that nolan is my favorite director and has never shot and said he's never going to shoot anything on digital right. but you know if i could shoot 70 mil imax <laughs> for all my movies why wouldn't you why wouldn't you, <laughs> you, know, exactly. you know what i mean yeah, I think people care about that stuff too much, honestly. Yeah. I think people care about a lot of things too much. <laughs> That's our next episode. Are you caring too much? <laughs> Call 1-800. That's something you could shoot, the spec commercial. Yeah, dude. You know, in that same vein, you mentioned Nolan. Yes. Who inspires you as a DP? And what are your thoughts on emulating them in relation to your own originality because my thought with being original is well none of us are original anymore because like you mentioned earlier we're watching stuff from the 40s 50s whatever and we're just piecing together all these different moments and now that's what's original but we don't really have original ideas is that kind of how you think about things or do you yeah. think there's like a that like no like, such... like I don't such know. a loaded question. Deacons, like he's original, period. Or like, no. you know. Well, the thing about Deacons is like, <clears throat> Deacons has a really uninteresting style. And I think that's what makes him so popular. Like, it just looks good. No, like, I think Deacons is like harder than most DPs to pick out and be like, that's Deacons. Because it is really iconic, but like, always really high res, cleanest lenses, 
fast lenses, but not necessarily stopped all the way down. You know, like he has a really clean style mm-hmm. and it just like looks good. There's a like, handful of his films I've watched and I'm like at the end of it, oh shoot, he shot this. Yeah. It's just like that happens all the yeah. time. Yeah. You'll like watch them and be like, Deacons did that. <laughs> um but you know, I think he's like the the go to favorite DP. You know, I don't think like I feel like most people would be like, Oh Deacons is my guy. Um, I think Deacons is a legend. I think most of my favorite DPs are like people you've probably never heard of. Let's trap them. Who you got? Dude, I would I would literally have to go on Letterboxd and like pick people out because these are like these like 60-year-old dudes that are at like on the ASC, but you've never heard of them. But they're shooting like legendary stuff. Like I just watched Perry Mason, which is an HBO show. Mm. And made my brain hurt dude like i think it's the maybe one of the most beautiful things i've watched this year look these two guys up is two two older older gentlemen i've never watched anything they've ever shot wow but yet was blown away by how incredible that show looked and especially for me stylistically that show is like really in line with my style of just like enough light in every moment but like not scared to take a few lights away and mm-hmm. kind of give it a little bit more mood i mean it is a noir show but yeah i mean i don't think i have any like favorite you know dps that i would you know shout out and be like oh yeah that's my guy i, mean, yeah. I love deacons love pfizer obviously because you know big nolan fan sure um but yeah i mean i i don't know i mean i think the interesting thing about being a dp is like there's so many DPs and you can either find that like scary or comforting, which I think I find both depending on the day, but like there's so many people creating incredible work, you know, yeah. from like, cause there's like, there's so many DPs that don't ever leave commercial world. Like they just get there and they're like, I love this. I only want to shoot commercials and commercials nowadays looks incredible. Or music videos. And, or music videos. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I I'm always, you know, impressed by just, you know, random DPs where I'll like look them up and be like, Oh, they shot that. And then you go on their website and you're like, Oh, I love that commercial. Mm -hmm. Or like, Oh, that's such a good music video. So, you know, I think it's, it's hard to say like, Oh, there's one specific person that kind of fits, fits the bill more than most. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think anybody that's shooting good work, I'm a fan of. Cause like when I scroll through your website, and you've got a pretty decent log on your cinematographer page. Yeah. I like see your style. It comes across as Yeah. Alex shot this. And so that obviously has to come from either a subliminal this is just what I like from what I've seen, or this yeah. is like, you know, I'm trying to replicate something that comes from someone yeah. I've really appreciated or me and multiple people even i used to think i didn't have a style and then people started saying that and i started kind of noticing that things would look similar and i'd be like oh maybe i do have a style but yeah yeah i mean i think i think it's harder it's easier if you go to like someone's website and you have them all queued up and you have like 15 of their projects and you're like oh this website's beautiful by the way (laughs) this looks it like i get what this person's vibe is but then it's a lot harder when you, you know, feature film world, you know, it's, there's something stupid like, you know, 
a thousand different frames in a movie, maybe like a thousand different unique shots mm-hmm. that you can pick out and be like, that's a shot. That's a shot. That's a shot. So if you stack up, you know, 15 movies, that's 15,000 frames. It's a lot harder for all of that to come through as a style. And especially when you talk to, you know, DPs, there's DPs like Deacons, like Deacons, his quintessential thing is that he doesn't have a style. Like he doesn't want his work to look a certain way. Like, and he said that before where he wants, you know, the director's vision to come across and you not even know that he shot it. Like he, that is like the ultimate serving the story. So I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it's good to have a style. I think it's cool if you don't, I don't think it, you know, I think it it goes either way, but yeah, yeah, I think I've, I've kind of in the last year, maybe last even six months have definitely kind of come across a style and that's really motivated by things I like and just, you know, I'm so young and so fresh that everything is exciting and everything is new. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I constantly pull things and say, Oh, I want to shoot that. Or like, Oh, I'd love to do a two shot in front of a window. And like, yeah. Oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. And I think wanting to do all these things, I like find ways to fit those into projects where mm-hmm. people, you know, will be shot listing. And in my head I'll say like, Oh, I really want to do the shot or like one thing I'm really into right now is like matching indoor outdoors and like being able to see that like outside area mm-hmm. and kind of have that soft light come in. Mm-hmm. Just like seeing that I find so satisfying. So that's something that I like want to do. And then it changes and it's like something else, you know, like after watching Perry Mason, I feel like I need to shoot a film more now because I, just, <laughs> I feel like a lot of DPs would probably be like, oh yeah, I would love to do that. But you know, that you know seeing that kind of high key outdoor really dark indoors kind of seedy nightlife lots of neon like mm-hmm. 1930s la chinatown like i would love to shoot something like that oh, i feel yeah. like my style fits that but you know yeah i don't know i don't think i answered anything about originality in there <laughs> but maybe that's what's original <laughs> about it yeah, I mean, I think anytime you create something, it's original to you. Right. I don't think anything can be created that is truly original. Right. Because, you know, you're always referencing something, you know? Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, DPs will always tell you, oh, you know, expand your art library to more than just films. And you'll hear about, you know, you'll you'll hear Bradford referencing, you know, photographers, you know, civil rights 1970s photographers that he loves and then i go and buy those you know tabletop books yep and i look at them and then that references me and you know so it's just kind of like i feel like if you expand even more than outside films then it becomes even less original because then you're you end up referencing like art in world Mm -hmm. period not just referencing other films but you're looking at paintings you're looking at photography you're looking Mm. at you know, installations, you're looking at all this stuff. And so, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing though. I don't think, I don't necessarily think originality is like something that should be like the main goal. Yeah. I don't think it should be the main goal, at least for me right now. I'm never worried about something being only original to me. Maybe that's something that'll change as I get older, but I think for me, there's so many more important things that you could be worrying about than just like, mm-hmm. oh, I want this to be really original. But yeah, I mean, I think it's impossible to be truly original. You know, even stuff that I see that I feel like is pushing the boundaries. Mm-hmm. I feel like that person definitely referenced something or you've seen something that 
you're like, oh, that is the, at least the jumping point. Maybe it's not exactly mm-hmm. the same, but you're like, oh, that they got from A to B that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love that you brought that up because I feel like many artists, when they're getting started with whatever medium they want, they kind of have this like, oh, I need to be original. I need to yeah. have, you know, I, I can't, you know, we're so worried about um, copying people and like that's just ground into us. But uh, I feel like the idea of inspiration is something that many artists learn on their journey is that just because you take inspiration from something and you kind of incorporate it into your style, mm-hmm. that's something you shouldn't be afraid of. You should look for inspiration in things and say, I like that yeah. and I need to incorporate that. Dude, the funny thing is like I really got started by like copying people <laughs> because like I, you know, a really good friend of mine would do the same thing and he was, you know a friend but also had more experience so he was kind of a mentor and he'd always just put out incredible stuff and i was like dude how are you you know it looks good you know you're getting the right the right connections whatever and he was like oh well you know i just watched this piece and i basically did this whole spec off of this one shot that i saw in somebody else's Mm -hmm. piece Mm -hmm. and it makes it really easy to achieve good results so i would i was like yeah i'm gonna do that too so i would just i would watch you know something on Vimeo that was in kind of the same mindset. And I'd be like, oh yeah, okay. I see what they're doing there. I bet I can mm-hmm. get pretty close. Like I, yeah. you know, I could probably get 80% of what they're doing. So then I just go do it and be like, oh wow, it looks way better than if I had just walked out and shot something. And I think especially you're kind of, not some mooching off the cinematographer, but you're definitely mooching over the director's ideas there because you're kind of mm-hmm. taking their idea and just without a director shooting something by yourself and you're getting pretty close. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think you should at all be afraid of of that. I think originality is a is a great thing, but I think it also is something that comes with experience because mm-hmm. you need to shoot a lot of stuff that isn't true to yourself to find what is true to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely fallen into projects where, you know, like time after time that Trey produced, that was definitely a project that was like right up my alley. I definitely didn't know it when I started the project. Yeah. When I was shooting it, I felt like I was just kind of like flowing. And I was after that, I was like, I really love period pieces. Like, I think period pieces are I would love to just shoot period. pieces. <laughs> like, I think that, that is I, I think calling is a strong word, but I think it's that's where you stake your claim. That's where. I, yeah, that's like where I feel like I can speak the best. Um, but I would never have known that if I hadn't had copied people to do a lot of other stuff. I think experience leads to that originality, but it's impossible to achieve if you're just trying so hard to be original because you end up never finding, you know, other things that might influence that originality somehow. Mm -hmm. To shamelessly plug youth for a second. Dude. I remember (laughs) um, one of the things that seemed like kind of drew to that project was that, you're going to get to shoot some high-key stuff, which you mentioned earlier was yeah. kind of not what you've gotten opportunities to do yet. So I'm, like, such a fiend for experience. Yeah, like, like getting I new opportunities. want to be shooting stuff I've never shot before, especially because you can shoot stuff so many different ways. You can shoot, like, high-key, low-key. You can add color. You can take away color. You can shoot different formats. You can shoot spherical. You can shoot anamorphic. There's so many different things that you can do Like if you gave 50 DPs one, you know, like really vague prompt to just like, oh, well, you have to shoot a two shot interview at this location. Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to shoot that so differently. And if you gave them like carte blanche to do like 
whatever camera they wanted, whatever format they wanted, you would end up with almost like of the 50, at least 35 semi-unique perspectives. I'm always trying to shoot different things. So like I can embody all 50 of those DPs. So you can go in and say, oh, we could shoot this way, we could shoot this way, shoot this way, shoot this way, shoot this way, shoot this way. And then you're like, well, at least of those, you know, 15 different scenarios, I've already shot 12 of those. Mm-hmm. So I know mm-hmm. I can deliver the results or I can, you know, choose to push the bounds a little bit on something I haven't done. Because like mm-hmm. going back to what we were talking about earlier, I feel like so much of why you see Hollywood pair first time directors with legendary DPs is because the DP is the one that's going to bring the reliability. Yeah. You know, he's they're the one the that's project on his shoulders. Right. Like he's the one that, you know, that that first time director might drop the ball. That DP is going to make that, you know, drop ball look really good. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to like almost probably single handedly guarantee the success of the project. Um, but yeah, so I think so much of it for me is long game, you know, like I'm, you know, I even hesitate to call myself a DP now because I hate that kind of mindset of like, oh, yeah, I'm a DP now because it makes it sound like I've achieved what I want to <laughs> achieve. But like I'm interested in like the kind of DP that I'm going to be when I'm like 55. Like mm-hmm. that's the DP that I'm like working for. Yeah. Because I want to be like the guy that's getting those projects that other people are looking at and saying like, oh, yeah, that's that's his you know vision or like he's going to nail that or, you know, Oh, I know that that's going to be perfect for what he does. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like what I'm trying to you do. And I love being, I love being that dependable person on set when you're working with a director and they're like freaking out and they're like, oh, I don't know what we're doing. We're doing <laughs> this. And you can just kind of be that voice of like, I got this. Yeah. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And it's going to get us this. And I think that's what a DP does. Like they're, they're supposed to be that voice of, you know, reason and calmness in a hectic environment. And I think that you can only achieve that with a lot of experience. And that experience obviously makes you more marketable if you're looking at job prospects and kind of having a a career in that for your whole life. You can just continue to build those relationships and uh, reach out and network. And, you know, eventually you become that guy, like you're mentioning, where when you get that news release that Alex is working on, X, Y, and Z. It's like, oh, shoot. Like, yeah. we're soaked on this one. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. I think, you know, it's impossible to... I'm, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I say this, but I'm also bad about saying it to myself because everybody wants to get there at a certain time. You know, like, oh, I want to get there by the time I'm, like, 25. Or, like, oh, 28. By right That's now. That's going to be my I want to be there right now. Right. I want to <laughs> be there right now. Or you look at somebody that you know, and you're like, damn, they're there. We're the same age. Or, <laughs> yeah. you know, you... You go through everybody. I think that, works that one's worse any... when like someone's already I there. I hate right? that, dude. Yeah. yeah, I hate that. Especially when it's somebody that you know, and you're like, oh, <laughs> they're getting it. Why? Why am I not getting it? <laughs> and the funny thing too is, I feel like everybody feels that way. Mm-hmm. I used to think that it was only like low on the totem pole people, like oh, you know, guys and girls that are where I'm at. They're the ones that are feeling that way. And then I've had like the luck of having some high level conversations with like DPs that are there and are doing the work that I want to be doing. And then they say the same stuff mm. and and they're like, it Oh, never well. stops. Yeah. Just like yeah it layers. never stops. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, well, you know, I'm really bummed cause I was supposed to be on this project. And then, you know, they called someone else in or, Oh yeah. Well, you know, today's a bad day. Cause I just saw this one thing that my friend shot <laughs> and it's like, Oh, Man, that never goes away. So it's I, I try to keep that in the back of my mind to keep me kind of 
you know, as my friends like to say, keep your head down, keep grinding. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, it's definitely, you know, DP, which I think is a little bit of my curse because I'm so, you know, focused on getting there by a certain point that I picked a career that is like so (laughs) long game that, you know, I'm more focused on where I want to be in 30 years and where I want to be in five years because that's just the way that it works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and you know, it's, it's crazy too. like seeing from a personal perspective, I'm so happy with the way that my work has progressed. Just me personally, just seeing, you know, shooting stuff now and saying like, Oh yeah, six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, I couldn't shoot that and make it look like that, that I, it makes me understand why, it takes 30 years to shoot, you know, yeah. a Hollywood feature. Cause it's like, if you're doing that six month, one year turnarounds for 30 years, you'll be like at your final form by the time you mm-hmm. get there. And now you can watch your projects back and say, I don't hate all of that. There's actually some good yeah, stuff. Exactly. In there. You start being okay with it. I mean, it took Deacons, what, 72 years to win an Oscar. <laughs> and oh. the guy's been crushing it for, you know, the last 40 years yeah so i mean i think that's like the perfect example of just like you never know when you're gonna get you know that final recognition yeah but put up to the it, big everything leaks. he shoots yeah everything he shoots looks great and that's probably more important to him and to most people just like the consistency of the work yeah as we uh wrap things up here i'm gonna try and combine this into a final question perhaps so just on your website, and I'm going to keep referencing that because I want everyone to check it out, yeah. and we'll, we'll drop the uh, info at the end. Drop the info, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you have 20 projects on there, and I know personally you've Oof. done at least four or five other ones that are kind of just floating around, mm-hmm. haven't made it out there yet. What, like from all the stuff you've done, and you've kind of alluded to it a, a second ago with like period pieces being perhaps your calling, mm-hmm. Yeah. What path do you see yourself going down? And when you're, you know, 30 years down the road and looking back on your work, like, what do you think that's going to be? Or do you think it's going to be kind of all over the place? Oh, I think it's going to be all over the place. I always like have a funny saying that, like, if the perfect project came up, no matter where it was, I'd do it. Like, if somebody called me tomorrow and they were like, dude, we have this sick project, it's in Malaysia, you got to move out here for six months. I would be like, yeah, I'm packing already, you know, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I, I think, in the <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, uh, can you send me my baggage? You know, like whatever, send me the, send me the flight number. Yeah. Um, I, I, cause it is, you know, going back to it experience wise, like I want to shoot everything. There's, there's really little that I would say I don't want to shoot. And you know, a personal example of that is like, I used to hate documentaries, dude. Like when I was shooting sports documentaries, I really disliked it. And I hated the style. I was like this. I used to like always joke about it just being like broadcast Mm -hmm. because I thought that's what documentaries were at that point in my career. I just didn't appreciate it. I was like, oh, it's like broadcast plus. Just on the fly, running gun. Yeah, I was like, I hate running gun stuff. You know, I I would love to shot list something. And then I got away from that, didn't do a doc for six months, came back, did one and was like, that's the most fun I've had in a really long time. (laughs) So, you know, because I went from shot listing everything and working with directors to getting put in a position where it was like me, an audio guy and a producer just like flying by the seat of our pants. Yeah. And it was freaking awesome. Something exciting so, about that. Yeah. There's something exciting about that. You know, when you're doing that all the time, you, it's not exciting, but when you're it's not, doing it all the time, it's incredibly exciting. Yeah. So, uh, and I think I'll always want to do that. Like I'll, I would, if anything from 30 years from now, I would love to be the kind of DP 
where like no project is going to be a no. Because you do hear about DPs being like, oh, well, they don't do that kind of project. Yeah. Or uh, that's not what they do. And that's cool. But I just I don't want to be one of those people. You know, I would love to like shoot, you know, high key Spotify commercial, back that up with like, you know, uh, some sort of like grungy doc and then go into like a big feature. Like, I think that would be like mm-hmm. a great six months, you know, like I just want to be able to do a little bit of everything. And I think it's also important creatively because it keeps you fresh. You know, like when I went away from docs, didn't do docs and then came back, I came at it with a totally different mindset and used a lot of things I learned doing other types of work to make those better Mm -hmm. and say, Oh, well, you know, we do that this way. I bet I could kind of implement that and get a pretty good result out of it. And I would never do that if I didn't do any type of project. You know, if you get silent doing one thing, I think you kind of end up just digging this hole for yourself where you kind of end up being, you know, the hamster in the, in the, (laughs) the spinning and you're just kind of like running around and around and around and around. You're kind of doing a lot of the same stuff. And then you kind of hop out of the wheel and you look at the wheel from that outside perspective and you're like, oh, I was doing that. I didn't and get if you anywhere. Can do that, I was in a wheel the whole right. time. I was, like, in, a I was wheel. in a wheel the whole time. <laughs> and I think if you do that ever so often, it, it is so good for your work to just kind of get that other other side of the coin there. Yeah. Got to find your other wheel to get into, right? You got to find the other wheel, man. <laughs> Yeah, uh, here at the end, what kind of advice, you know, you're somewhat fresh in this, if you want to call it that, but... Very fresh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what advice do you have for people that are maybe jumping out of college and didn't go to film school or didn't go to college and they see someone shooting something at a football game and they're like, hey, I want to get into that. What advice yeah. would you have for those types of people on how to get in and uh, start working their way up and also... In that vein, what are you working on now or in the future that you can talk about? As far as like getting, I would say my advice is not as much about getting how to get into the industry as it is about how to make yourself a better person in the industry. I think education is the key always. I'm like such a giant Mm -hmm. proponent of being educated in what you're doing and it doesn't matter what your position is i just think you should be really good at doing whatever it is that you do whether you're like set deck or you're a pa or you're a grip you there's always something you could be learning and i spend so much time watching movies uh reading textbooks like old film textbooks reading asc backlogs doing all that kind of stuff and the amount of stuff that you learn is staggering and i think that it it kind of helps you get in with the people that you eventually want to get in with. Cause you'll quickly find what interests you if you're spending a lot of time reading about it and you know, you'll say, Oh, I want to be a director. And then you read one director's book and you're like, that sounds awful. I don't think I want to be a director <laughs> or you might be like, that sounds incredible. I want to be a director. Yeah. So I think, you know, that education and educating yourself, especially for someone like me that didn't go to film school, but even if you did go to film school, um, mm-hmm learning that kind of stuff is is huge as far as getting into the industry i think you should always approach it from a personable way that doesn't end in an end goal i think the minute you have coffee with someone because you want to work on set with them is like the minute that you guarantee you're never going to work on set with them (laughs) if you just grab a coffee with someone and you're like hey 
I love your work. I want to be your friend. You'll probably get on set with them sooner or later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not always. See, I've begged for jobs and, you know, been like, oh, man, I'm such a fan. I would love to work on this project and gotten on set. But I find that most of the relationships, if you create them and you go into it, like creating a relationship with that person and less about, oh, what is this person going to give me? You'll be infinitely more successful. And then if you flip that around, you say, oh, I want to create a relationship with this person. And then I want to give them something and tell them what they what I can bring to their project or like their future is that's how you get in with the right people or at least the people that that you want to get in with yeah yeah I I think that what you would mention is extremely important whenever you're starting out in the industry and I love that you touched on it is that like just get out there and say hey let's go grab coffee or I'll go grab coffee for you guys just to be on set like help out and stuff like that so no I think I think that's so important. And there is, you know, for me, it's so hard because I'm not an extroverted person. Like I mm-hmm. am, but I'm not. But yeah. I hate reaching out to people. <laughs> yeah. Like I, oh, I really hate it. It's so hard for me to like reach out to people and be like, hey, I would, you know, just, you know, <laughs> let's, let's maybe uh, let's grab a coffee or something. So, it, you know, it's so hard for me to do that. Obviously, like when I get there, I, I, my extrovert, engages and mm-hmm. i'm like yeah we're talking we're it's fine but oh yeah i do find it hard to reach out to people but the the benefit of it is like huge you'll mm-hmm. definitely find and and i always tell people too you'll never get along with everybody and you should never approach it like everybody you reach out to is gonna be like a great friend because yeah they won't be and you'll instantly meet people in like the first 30 seconds be like yeah and that's okay and you know they probably aren't working on the projects that you want to be working on or if they are then there's other people that are working on those projects and Mm -hmm. you don't have to get along with everybody but you'll definitely find people where you're like yeah let's grab a 30 minute coffee and it's like three hours later and you're like Mm -hmm. hey do you want to go to the movies because this is like a lot of fun (laughs) and you'll you'll find that you'll you'll find like you know you'll start building your crew of people and that's always Mm -hmm. that's the fun thing about being in such a creative work, which is you find people that enjoy the same things that you enjoy. And then you're like, Oh, I love that movie too. Or I want to do this. And then your kind of goals sync up and then you end up hanging out with that person a lot. But yeah, I think it's important to kind of network and and not necessarily always network with like a goal in mind of it being like, just be a good person. Right. Just be a a nice person, be a good person. Uh, Don't bombard people to get on set with them. Cause Mm -hmm. Like even at the level that I'm at, I get that sometimes where people are like, oh, yeah, man, dude, hit me up. <laughs> I got it. This, that. It's like, it's I'm probably not. Card. Right? It's like, I'm probably not going to reach out to the people <laughs> I've never met. If I've had a coffee with you, sure. But like, I'm not just going to bring on totally random people that DM'd me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'll definitely look out for people that I see that are interested in actually doing good things in the Mm -hmm. industry and aren't just like trying to climb that ladder yeah sometimes you just gotta go see emma that late showing amc right bro late showing and then you grab a burger at (laughs) steak and shake burger steak and shake that was like the first time we hung out yeah dude post post project i think we'd already had a few days of shooting Mm -hmm. that was good did that movie oof Talk about a first-time director being paired with a legendary, like, good DP. Yeah. That's, like, probably one of my most favorite, my most favorite, 
that's one of my most favorite movies of this year from a mm-hmm. look perspective that movie looks incredible don't at me like <laughs> oh it looks so good yeah it's also a great five one. stars because i love jane austen mm-hmm. also don't at me <laughs> we're gonna add you in a second yeah add me in a second dude what are you working on anything covid got everything shut down or what covid got everything shut down uh so i had the lovely luck of breaking my collarbone mm. so i'm in a nice sling right now so i'm not doing a lot of work in general doing a lot of brain work a lot of education a lot of movie studying. watching a lot of studying yeah studying as i like to call it study hall every day <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, there's a like you mentioned, I have a lot of post stuff going on right now. I think I have like five projects in post that I'm all really excited for. So it's been a lot of interesting kind of post-centered conversations. Um, a lot of my first times working with colorists, uh, as well as coloring some of my own work, which has been really uh, interesting, kind of looking at it from a, you know, I color a lot of my work, but this, you know, coloring it when you're sending it to a lot of people and you're getting reviews as a colorist is different than if you're just being the colorist and the editor and and whatever Mm -hmm. else. But yeah, I mean, I have a lot of projects in post, which has kind of been its own challenge of learning and also patience because like we were talking about time after time, I still think that's the best project I've taught thus far and no one has seen it. So it looks real like super anxious for the world to see it. So it's like honing my patience skill <laughs> because I just want everybody to watch it. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a lot of that. So it's, it's, it's been interesting kind of getting into like the other DP role that isn't just like being on set and shooting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which is really in like really easy to fall into. And you're just kind of jumping from like project prep, shoot, maybe a post call, you get like a look and then you're like done and then you go into it again and then you're like prepping for two things and then you're shooting back to back and then you forget that you did that one thing and then you're posting frames because you want people to realize that you're still working and you just end up getting into this circle. Yeah, so trying to say it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to to not be doing that as, as much and kind of like I, these projects are getting way more attention than they would if it was normal times. True, probably. yeah. Because I would probably not be that worried about it. And I'd just kind of be like, yeah, well, you know, send me the cut. I'll give it some notes, move on, whatever. Yeah. But like mm-hmm. now it's like, oh, well, you know, today all I'm doing is watching this and giving it notes. So like I'm going to give it that. You're going to actually interest. sit with some mm-hmm. of your work a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm also stoked for that uh, Everyday Dogs music video. Shout out to that. Dude, Everyday those are Dogs my dudes. music video. <laughs> Shout out to those dudes. Also, a project I forget I worked on this little music video that I was uh, very lucky to DP co DP with my good friend, Chris Ponder. Um, and also sitting in the post world, I'm wondering when that'll be out. Cause I'm really excited to see that out as well. So yeah, I think that, man, I think I wasn't counting that in the five. That might be like project number six mm-hmm. that is in the post world, um, which has been interesting too, as like my career has evolved stuff everything was like quick turnaround like i'd like shoot something and like next week it was out Mm. and then once you like get to a point in your career i feel like stuff takes for forever to come out and then you're like man i shot that like eight months ago (laughs) and then people are like like, what lens was that on you're like i don't even know what camera that was on post is like significantly slower in the indie narrative world well and then you know I'm just like, you know, honky tonk town over here, never doing festival runs. 
I have, but not a lot. And then, you know, now I'm talking to you about, oh, well, you know, is this going to go to festivals? Do I have to wait to do, you know, promotion when work? Can I post stuff things? And yeah, they're like, when can I release things? So it's like a whole nother kind of juggle of a ball game yeah. of learning kind of how things work. It's not just and, finish and next day it's on YouTube. Right, generally. which is... Unless you're like, and, film and, right. Unless you're film right. And the funny thing about it too is like, but in your mind as a DP, like that's how it works. Yeah. Because like you finish and you're like, all right, I'm done. I'm out. Send it to me when it's done. <laughs> There's like really not a lot I could do from now on. You know, you might, you know, you might have really good conversations with a colorist, but that's it. You know, like from a DP perspective, like I did all I can do. What I have done is done. Yeah. So it, it is like, um, because I feel like producers and directors are really attached to it. So they get a lot of like, time that they're sitting with it but like it's still relevant to them because like they're living it yeah it's on the list each day to kind of follow up on right for dps it's like hey when can i post those frames (laughs) 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 soon my friend soon soon Soon. soon. (laughs) yeah that's what everyone says real soon that's what everybody says they're like yes project coming out soon when's it coming out uh it's coming out it's coming out pretty soon and it's like three months later you're like yeah i did drop in real emails and they're like hey uh they tell you this whole story about their life and then it's like so what about the film it's like yeah I know <laughs> at the end at the, at the end it's like postscript coming out soon <laughs> so with uh that being said what ha- what is the most recent thing you watched what would Dude, you recommend last oh i don't know about recommend uh, I watched uh, The American President today, which is mm. uh, a movie you've probably never heard about. If you have, I'd be incredibly impressed. Uh, <laughs> I have it's not. a Rob Rayner film. Ooh. Wait, have you heard of it? Mm-mm. Oh, okay, I was like, if you have, that would be like, <laughs> yeah, it'd be deep props. We're not on your level, uh, dude. Come on. <laughs> serious props. I, uh, I don't even know how I stumbled on it. Um, My good friend and mentor, uh, Brent Christie, I, I do stock his letterboxed a lot because he does watch a lot mm-hmm. and he watches things that I would never watch. And, you know, when I have calls with him, I always ask him what he's watching, but uh, he had watched it. I don't know if that's how I found out about it, but I I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. And so this movie, interestingly enough, was kind of a, a proving grounds for the West Wing, which is a show that I love. Oh, that Aaron Sorkin I didn't know that. Wrote. Um, and it has a lot of the same characters and a lot of the same actors, uh, essentially. So, yeah, I just kind of stumbled upon that, and it was it, it felt kind of like what I wanted to watch. Um, we were talking; I was talking to Trey. I had like a legendary day yesterday. I watched Forrest Gump, Tenant, <laughs> and Titanic, all first time watches, all in one day. It's so I almost think that's like not possible. A full work day. That's like a full <laughs> eight hours of movie watching. Yes, especially with the three hour, fourteen minute runtime of Titanic. That diversity, yeah. man. Dude, diversity too. I went Forrest Gump, Tenet, and Titanic. And Tenet and Titanic were back to back. Like there was only a dinner stop between those two. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I would recommend all three of those heartily. I won't give away any like reviews because I just hate being the reviewer of movies. But yeah, I loved the way Forrest I really wanted to not like Forrest Gump for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like I was like going into it, I was like, I'm not gonna like this. Like <laughs> I'm not gonna be one of those people that's like quoting Forrest Gump. Um and I was pleasantly surprised by how good it looked. Like mm-hmm. it was like Panavision, 35 millimeter anamorphic. And I loved every second of it. And then people forget that movie was like a groundbreaking 
visual effects film. Yeah. Like there's so much visual effects in it. Right. And I didn't know that until I was like looking up the IMDBs and they're doing like face replacements. And I was like, whoa. Lieutenant These Dan's guys were, legs. Like, pushing the <laughs> boundaries, you know, like um or like so, yeah, that was actually there we go. <laughs> um so that was good. Tenant, uh, love that. Honestly, if you didn't, it's because you didn't get it. Don't be salty. No. Don't be don't be mad. Get glad. Preach. Um, yeah, I loved it. I mean, I'm a Nolan fanboy. So like we were talking about how like you sit through like people's conversations about how they love, you know, Fellini or whatever, <laughs> and you have to sit there and be like, yeah, I get it. Uh, <laughs> and but I'm like that with Nolan. Like Nolan could make an awful movie. I would still give you like a hundred reasons why it's the best movie he's yeah. ever made. Uh, to a fault, but you know, I loved it. I think it's great. I love, you know, and it's kind of interesting, but I feel like if you like Nolan, you, whether you know it or not, you're a Hitchcock fan. Cause I find that there's a lot of parallels in like the confusing level of storylines that you get from probably a more traditional Hitchcock mystery, but they, they bring about the same kind of enjoyment that you get from those Nolan films of just like, what is happening? Mm. I don't get it. And then at the end, you get the payoff, and you're like, I get it. That's an interesting um, parallel. Uh, yeah, well, I watched uh, Dial M for Murder the night before, so I think I might be paralleling pretty hard because I just enjoy both Had it on your mind. Right, I had it on my mind. But, uh, but I mean, it's a similar payoff that you get where you're just kind of like, yeah, okay, I get it, I get like, it. There's I so much of the thriller that came yeah. from Hitchcock. Like he might have develop the word i don't know for a film yeah i mean hitchcock was hitchcock as a director i never watched a hitchcock film until this year and i think i've watched seven hitchcocks this year thus far um so i've been really kind of inspired by a lot of his work just because i went from never watching any of it to just consuming so much of it and then titanic was my last watch of the of the night and that was a really interesting movie um i'd never seen it obviously wow. which yeah, I'd never seen Forrest Gump either. So it was interesting seeing those two kind of classic movies because you get, I feel like a lot of people watch that when they were younger and not in the industry. And then they're in the industry and they're older. So they get like a second take. But for me, it was like, I just have one hot take because like this has been my one and only watch. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, again, like kind of with Forrest Gump, I wanted to not like it, but I did really <laughs> enjoy it. Like I was having to like kind of eat my words on that. Uh, like I definitely understand why it is where it is. Yeah. Uh in its place in history. You know? It's definitely it's it's earned it. And you didn't have to watch it on two VHS tapes. No two VHS tapes. <laughs> I only watched the second one every time as a kid. Cuz that's why? when the boat breaks in half in the action. <laughs> that seems like so cynical. <laughs> Like you were like, I just want to watch the boat sink. Well, like um. the first, the first tape was you know them meeting and a lot of the right. You don't care about gallivanting that. about and no social character classes. development. We want the action. yeah. I just want to see yeah, stuff no character breaking. development. Smokestacks falling over, people hitting propellers. Like let's go. The interesting thing I will say about all three of these movies that I watched in one day, all of them were long. I think Forrest Gump's like two twenty two something. Tenet's two thirty. And like I said, Titanic 314, I never felt bored or tired in any of them. 
which I think is a testament to how well thought out those movies are. Like, there was at no point in any of those movies where I was like looking at the watch and I was like, oh mm-hmm. man, I gotta, gotta do this later. Or, oh, the scene, like, why are they doing this? You know, like all of them kept my attention really well during every second of it. Titanic mm-hmm. impressed me the most because even me loving movies, I feel like past 230, 240 is like, whoa. Now you're just like, like oh man, I've been for sitting reason. for a really long time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that 314 felt, it flew away. Like at the end, I was still a little surprised. Like when it ended, I was like, that, that, that's it. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, so now I, I love IMDb trivia. So I'm going to drop a few random facts. Uh, so I found out that making the movie Titanic actually cost more than the actual ship. Mm. Uh, oh. Interestingly enough. So it cost, I think it was like two twelve, two hundred twelve million million to make the movie. Uh, in that time's money, it was like seven and a half million, which equates to like a hundred million or less now. With inflation, um, and so it cost more to make the movie than it did to uh, make the ship. Well, they had to go sink another Titanic. <laughs> they so had, it's... yeah, exactly. No VFX guys. It was real. Yeah. Um, second fact: uh, the 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 spools that were run in the theater were in. It was the theater run was so long that the studio had to send fresh reels of the film out because they actually burned through the original spools that they sent out to theaters. Mm. I'm not sure exactly how long the theater run was, but I think it, it might still be the record for the longest. That's why like that box office you see, you know, before avatar beat it. That's why like it was in theaters for like six months. Interesting fact. This is my last fact of the, uh, the, the, the evening. Keep them coming. Um, We'll see you all night. James Cameron spent so much time diving the Titanic, I think it was like over 20 dives, that he actually spent more time diving the Titanic than the passengers actually spent on the ship before it sank. Mm. Triple triple Titanic facts, guys. Nice. I'm here for all your movie <laughs> bar trivia nights. I'm available. Hit me up. There is a day rate. I will guarantee a win. <laughs> We gotta, we gotta gotta throw that on the episode as like a segment. Titanic facts. Titanic facts. Just IMDb trivia. We should toss that in to a segment. IMDb trivia. Yes, dude. You (laughs) you should definitely do it. I want to come back as a guest for the introduction of that. Yeah. Like I want to be a phone a friend moment for someone. (laughs) Buzzins. Who's that? Alex is here with us. I got it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I love IMDb trivia because it always leads to the most interesting facts that no one should know mm-hmm. um and then i also love the which is funny you trey you always call me out on this but i love seeing what things were shot on even though i don't think it matters especially i love seeing what lenses yeah. things were shot on uh, but it's funny because trey always bothers me when i'm not finding it because he's convinced that if it doesn't have a high enough budget it doesn't get the imdb information right it's mm. true like under forty million, you don't get a camera. Like it just says like it just says like super thirty five. Yeah. That's all you get. You get <laughs> like that and color, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. color. Yeah, or it's maybe just like Dolby an aspect HD. ratio. Sixteen nine always. Yeah, yeah. It's like really, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I especially complex stuff like Tenet, you know, with the Hasselblad DNA still lenses, and uh, the horizontal MX. 65 mm-hmm. i think it's the reflex 675 uh 
No, the Reflex 765, I think that is. But, uh, yeah, I love seeing that stuff, especially because, you know, I'm not shooting things at that scale or that project value. I love just seeing the kind of tools that they're using to yeah. achieve that look. And, you know, Nolan now going into doing all 70 mil with Hoyt, it's such a, a cool thing to see kind of what tips and tricks they're using yeah, to, to get that look across. keeping up with the new standards and kind of what people evolve into over time. Yeah. As much as resolution and large format don't matter, it's always fun. Yeah. Always fun. No 8K cameras, right? Dude, Not necessary. 10K, 12K. 12K. Oh, okay. 16K. What? 16, 20K. <laughs> when will it end? Red helium squared. 20K. <laughs> it's like, I love seeing the crop factor stupidity on those. <laughs> where they're like, you can crop in 8,000%. <laughs> It's like, it's like if you have to do you that, you didn't even shoot a movie. It? Yeah. It's just one wide for the whole thing. Yeah, it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's masters only. We're only shooting masters. Everything else is a crop. I feel like that's the next iPhone only film. Like the next time they're like, that's like the next boundary. Like they're like, we're only shooting masters. Everything else is a crop. Yeah. I could see yeah. that. Oh man, I'd hate to be on that project. That's not my style. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Uh, yeah, Trey, you always bother me, but I just don't like cropping in as much as like it does offer. I, I'd love to go into a project and think I'll never do it. Yeah. Like I want to shoot everything the right way first. We, we had that conversation on youth. I was like, you know, in post, I might punch in a 2k cause you know, we might need to kind of fudge some 2K. stuff. And he's like, what are you talking about? You we're won't. not like, <laughs> we're getting the shots. It's 4k. Like it'll be 4k. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. If we're shooting that, we'll master in that. So I, as a director, appreciate a DP that's got that much uh, knowledge on how to use his equipment to make sure you don't have to do that because usually it's because you're fixing something. Yeah. And, you know, kind of segueing back into time after time, uh, that was an interesting project for me because we shot all tungsten. So it was my first project shooting 100% tungsten, something I've wanted to do for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, had my lovely gaffer Josh really shout really out make Josh that happen. shout out to Josh that was a really interesting experience I think for everybody on set to see it in monitor mm-hmm. because people were like so confused because it looked so much like what they thought they were going to see post wise yeah like people were like kept coming up to me like hey what LUT is on this monitor it's like uh, that's not a LUT that's, that's natural the way baby we're, that's natural that's the way we're doing it and I think that I've learned that from great DPs. Just, you know, you'll hear DPs say like, oh yeah, like I don't rely on post for anything. I just do it in camera because that's the way you do it. And that's definitely a film centric thought process of just like, well, you know, we're not shooting raw. You can't change everything. So I'm just going to do it now. And I think that I've evolved into that being a really big pillar of my style as a DP to want everything to look as close to my vision and the director's vision as I can in camera and not have to rely on a LUT or a colorist to bring about, you know, whatever it is mm-hmm. that vision was, but actually achieve it in camera. I think that's, that's really important. I think it's, it's a mark of a really, you know, really talented and really prepared DP. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you're going to go very far with this thing and have Dude. one heck of a career, even if you're only starting it. out. I've always thought that. that ever since we first got drinks that one night. So yeah, dude, we appreciate you being Upwards. on man. 
upwards and onwards. We will definitely try and have you back on, especially when we start IMDb For trivia. IMDb trivia, yeah. Oh yeah. And one last <laughs> thing: what's your letterbox count at right now? How many movies you got? Oh, one thousand two hundred and fifty-seven. Mm. Soon to be about five thousand at the rate he's going. I'm I'm gunning <laughs> for Trey. He's only like you're only like three hundred away, but I feel like that's my. Mark I've got right a few now. extra years on you too, so like next year you're past me. Yeah, I've got three years on there only. I mean, there are a lot of old stuff, you know, a lot of old films that I, you know, everybody catches up. You realize you watched something when you were a kid, but um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's been interesting, kind of going from loving movies to like really having kind of like my eyes open to the world mm-hmm. of, of movies has been, it's been like fast and furious to just like watch as much good stuff as I can. And it's funny, like that we, me and Trey had that conversation. We had a conversation, I guess like a couple weeks ago about how, how many movies you get to watch before you die. <laughs> and like how, no matter how much you watch, like you're, even if you watch like 200 a year, like you're going to cap out at like 30,000 yeah. or like, yeah. you know, like there is it's a, a lot limit. less than you think. You can't do it. <laughs> it's a lot less than you think when you think about the amount of stuff that's getting put out. So I think that kind of puts it into perspective of just like don't watch bad Make stuff. Make each movie watch, count. Watch mm-hmm. movies that count. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. We appreciate it. Thanks for staying on with us so long and offering yeah. up your time. Before you run out, I also want you to plug your socials and everything so the listeners can go check you out. Plug my socials. Uh so my website is uh, alexanderjrivera.com, and my Instagram is a Rivera Films. So it's A R I V E R A for the, nice. the 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 names there. Yeah, go give our man a follow. Check out his website. All the films are on mm-hmm. there. Like you can watch them right on his website. It's really cool. Yeah, there's we got a, a few projects I've worked on with Trey. Hopefully, more more developing in the future. But yeah, Thank absolutely you all. appreciate it. Nice. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. But all right, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, I hope you really enjoyed that. We have our Instagram. You can follow us at The Cinevibes. And then for the email, you can hit us at cinevibescast at gmail.com. So thank you so much again for listening. And we're out.